0: welcome 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 to the science of the covenant podcast and today is a special day as we celebrate the ending of the feast of tabernacles so if you have your bibles ready i'm going to turn it over to pastor as he will give his teaching pastor it's over to you okay thank you uh thank you boys what we want to look at uh as we close the week of uh the Feast of Tabernacles, some people call it the Feast of Booths or the Feast of uh, Sukkot. But all of those have a similar meaning. The Sukkot, the uh, tabernacles, and also the uh, they call it the tent. All of those have a similar meaning. Now, one of the questions that a lot of people are dealing with right now as we are festival keepers is Some people kept the feast last month. We some are keeping it now, and next month some other festival keepers will be keeping it. And a lot of people say that's confusion. Well, that could be confusion, but one must understand that when we keep the feast of Tabernacles or any feast, we are keeping it according to the knowledge that we have. And for the best resources that we have been given, that's what we operate out of. So if Elohim permits us to get more knowledge about when and how to keep it, then that's what we'll do. But one of the main things about calculating the feast is that you get reliable resources. However, even with reliable resources, you can still be off. So one of the ways that you can be reliable is to look at the moon phases itself. And once you see the moon phases, personally, then you know when to start counting. But one of the problems with that is you can't always see the moon because of the clouds. So therefore, you have to depend upon people who are observing it and people who have a reputation of keeping the feast days and how they calculate it. So I feel like this, if I'm keeping it the wrong day and my heart is in the right place, I think grace would say he's all right. But if I look at the feast days and say they're confusing and I don't wanna try to really understand it, then I don't think grace is gonna work too much for that individual because they don't really have a desire. They just saying, if it ain't just like I want it, then I'm not going to do it. Well, if you don't want his feast days, then he may not want you. But the fact is, we're doing the best we can with what we got. And when we can do that, then I think Elohim will bless us. And if we're really sincere, he'll he'll get us on the right page together. So with that in mind, let us pray. Eternal Father, again, as you have permitted us to come to another Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Sukkot, The feast, O Heavenly Father, that you have given us, that we may be able to do it according to the way that you would have us to. Now, Father, as we turn into your word, we ask that you would feed us out of your word. That as we study about the Feast of Booths, O Heavenly Father, we may have an understanding. Not just the booth to dwell in, but what you are trying to teach to your people, what is behind all of this. And may we be the better for it as we study this evening. We pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. And amen. amen. I want to turn to chapter 23 of the book of Leviticus. Uh, I want to read a few verses there. Leviticus chapter 23. Now we're going to consider verses 42 to 44. Leviticus 23, 42 to 44 reads, Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am your Yehoah, your Elohim. Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feast of Yehoah. What we want to do, we had looked at some of the Historical perspectives uh, of the feast. And we looked at those uh, times in which the feasts are being celebrated. And in addition, this evening, we want to look at not only the historical uh, feast, but we also want to continue uh, looking at two other aspects of the feast. Now, the other two aspects of the feast is the prophetical and the eschatological. So, what we want to do in looking at verses 42 to 44 in Leviticus, we want to look at first, uh, in addition to the historical feast of Tabernacles, we want to look at the prophetical feast of Tabernacles. Now, when we view the feast of Tabernacles from a prophetical aspect, There are at least three ways we can approach it. Prophetical views can go in at least three time frames, respectively. The past, the present, and the future. A lot of people think that prophecy always predicts the future, but that's not true. Prophecy can also take you back into the past, and then prophecy can also deal with the now. So, you can go in the past, the present, and the future. All three of these time frames carry some picture as to the prophetical views in them. Since we dealt with some of the prophetical in the historical, we want to dwell into this aspect again in this section. Moreover, we'll cover the prophetical future in the eschatological in the eschatology of the Feast of Tabernacles. In this part of our discourse, we are concerned ourselves with what we refer to as the season. We'll look at the season. Okay. Now, the prophetical season of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is what we want to look at, the prophetical season. In this part of our discourse, we'll be looking at how the Feast of Tabernacle influences us in the here and now, and we will cover two aspects of the prophetical season. The first aspect we'll refer to as the prophetical presence. Okay, I want you to make note of that, the prophetical presence. Now, when we talk about the presence, we're saying... The prophetical presence, which is spelled P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, the prophetical presence. Now, when we speak about the prophetical presence, it has more to do with the spirit of our times by which we are being influenced. When we deal with the prophetical events, which has and is and will come, there is a spirit behind the prophetical uh, utterance. We must understand that the spirit behind the prophetical proclamations are just as real as their prophecy. This is why John says, let us turn and see what John says, because we'll, we're going to look at the prophetical presence. Let us turn to First John. And in First John, we want to look at verse... I mean, chapter four, okay, First John chapter four. I want to look at verse number one. Okay, we're talking about this, uh, the presence, and the presence that we're talking about is the presence of the spirit, and what type of spirit? So here in John, 1 John chapter four and verse one says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of Elohim, because many false prophets, are going out into the world. So what is he saying here? He said, I don't believe every spirit, because some of the spirits are not of Elohim. He said there are many false uh, prophets out there. Why? Because they are under the influence of a false spirit, or one of those spirits that Satan has sent out. So when we understand that the prophetical feast of tabernacles also has what we would refer to as a prophetical personality. Okay? So in other words, we're not looking only at what we call a prophetical presence, but we're looking at a prophetical personality because when we look at a spirit, the spirit has behind it a personality. The spirit didn't just get out there. Everything that that is of a spirit must have a body. When we see an insect, it have it has a spirit, but it has a body. When we see an animal, it has a spirit, but it has a body. When we see a fish, it has a spirit, but it has a body. When we see man, he has a spirit and he has a body, and that's the same thing here. If you got a prophet who is a false prophet, it has a spirit behind it, and that spirit that is behind it also have a body, which is a fallen angel. So the psychological, so the physical, so the prophetical personality is that which is behind what we believe and teach. Let us examine a little little closer the prophetical personality. Okay. Now, the prophetical personality. Now, we're still in 1 John chapter 4. And we want to read uh, verses 1 to 3 again. Okay. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they be they are of Elohim because many false prophets are going out into the world hereby know ye the spirit of Elohim every spirit that confesseth that Yeshua the Messiah is coming in the flesh is of Elohim and every spirit that confesseth not that Yeshua the Messiah is come in the flesh, is not of Elohim, and this is that spirit of the of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So he said that Antichrist, the one who don't profess Yeshua is coming to flesh. He said that spirit is already in the world. Okay, so... In our dealing in our dealing with spirits, we must be able to discern the personalities involved. There are the spirits of our Heavenly Father and His Son. There are the spirits of both the, the unfallen angels and the fallen angels. And there is the spirit of the true prophet and the pseudo-prophet once having an understanding of the prophetical personality or the profet- or the prophetical personalities, we must also have some discernment of the spirit behind the personality. And we refer to this part of our study as the prophetical pneumos. Now the prophetical pneumos is what we call the, the prophet, the prophet spirit, the prophet spirit. Okay, now when we talk about the prophet spirit, it in, it includes two things it is, it, it includes the uh, the, the prophet who is being moved by the spirit, and it also includes the message that the prophet has. So when we talk about the pr- prophetical pneumos, we're talking about the prophecies that have been given through the Spirit, and we're also talking about the prophet who is being used by the Spirit. Okay, now, in the in the prophetical pneumos, we have the spirit of prophecy, okay? The spirit of prophecy. Why do we call it the spirit of prophecy? Because it is the prophet, it is the spirit that gives the prophecy. That's why we call it the spirit of prophecy. And when, when we uh, speak about the spirit of prophecy, it has to do with the spirit by which the prophecy is given. When a prophecy is is given, it is either the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. Now, here in the same chapter of 1 John 4, 6, notice what it says. It said, we are of Elohim. He that knoweth Elohim heareth us. He that is not of Elohim heareth not us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Okay. So the spirit of truth comes from Jehoah and the spirit of error comes from Satan. Consequently, when we are given a true prophecy, it comes from the Spirit of Yah. Now, let us let us turn to First Peter. First Peter. And in First Peter, we want to look at chapter one. First Peter, chapter one, and what we want to look at. Let me see. No, I'm sorry. It's Second Peter, not First Peter. Second Peter, chapter one. Okay, and we want to look at verse twenty-one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. And here Peter says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of Elohim spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. See, that's what we call prophetical pneumos. In other words, when you prophesy, both the prophet as well as this message has been given to him by the Holy Spirit. And when we are given a false prophecy, it comes by the Spirit of Satan. As we celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle, it proclaims to us that His spirit is with us in our time, as it was in the days gone by with our forefathers. As we observe the Feast of Tabernacles, let us beware of the fact that it teaches us that Yah and his son are with us, in our earthly walk with Him by His Spirit. Now we notice that when we go back to the Old Testament, what do we notice, He says the reason why you're going to dwell in 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 booths or sukkahs or tabernacles, He said the reason why I put you in those tabernacles is because when I brought you out of Egypt, I put you in them. And what happened when they were in Egypt? They rebelled against Him. They could have gotten into the Promised Land in 40 days. But it took them 40 years, and when they did get in the Promised Land, he had dropped them. many of them dead. Now what I want you to see see this, that when the true Spirit comes and gives us a true pro- prophecy of the Feast of Tabernacles, what he is trying to teach us is what he taught ancient Israel. And what was he trying to teach them? He was trying to teach them to trust him, that he's with them. How did they know that he was with them? Because every day the pillar of cloud was there to guide them, and every night the pillar of fire was there to give them warmth so they would not freeze in the night. And if they couldn't understand that for 40 years that he was with them and they rebelled like they did, he was trying to teach them that the Feast of Tabernacles teaches us that he is with us. And we need to understand in the last days that he is our Cloud and he is our pillar of fire. We need to understand that, because the Feast of Tabernacles is not just dwelling in booths and sukkahs and tabernacles. What it is, is to know that he is with us. He's dwelling with us. That's what it's about, and we must trust him. Now, let us turn to uh, let, let 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 us turn to uh, the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John and in the Gospel of John, we want to look at the 16th chapter, okay, the 16th chapter. Now, so we have to be aware of the Feast of Tabernacles, and let us be aware of the fact that it teaches us that Yah and His Son are with us, and on our earthly walk with Him, by by His way, okay? Let's turn to... uh, Uh, the 16th chapter of uh, the Gospel Gospel of uh, John. Okay, now notice if we want to look at the 7th verse. Now notice what he says here to his disciples. In verse number 7 of 16, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So in other words, just like he was trying to teach ancient Israel that he was with them, He's trying to teach us in the tabernacle that he's with us. And he said, I'm going away. But when I go away, I'm not going to leave you hopeless. He said, it's necessary that I go away. Why? He said, because I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to let you know I'm with you. This is what the Feast of tabernacle is all about. It's just showing that he's with us. And he said, I'm with you through my Holy Spirit. As long as we keep the Feast of Tabernacles, it's a reminder of the fact that He's always with us, not only during the week of Tabernacle, but all during the year, His Spirit is with us. This is what Tabernacle is all about, Yah being with us by His Spirit. Now that we have looked at the prophetical presence, let us now observe the prophetical presence. Now, we look at the presence. We dealt with the prophetical uh, spirit and the prophetical uh, personality. And now we want to deal with the prophetical present. Present. Now, that word present is being spelled P-R-E-S-E-N-T, present. Not presence, but present. Okay? Okay. Now, when we we when we look at the present, what do we have? Okay, okay. Now, so, so when we looked at the presence, what did we have? We had the personality. We had the prophetical uh, pneumos. and in those things, we were able to see who was given the prophecy. And in our last days, we want to know that it's the Holy Spirit leading us in the prophecy. So now when we deal up with the prophetical presence, then in the prophetical present, we are primarily focusing on the current time in which we are living. For a prophecy to be fulfilled, it must find its expression in a time frame. There were things which were prophesied in the past, which are now being fulfilled in our current time. And in our time, there are things we will prophesy that will come after our time. However, since we are living in the days of end time events, which have been predicted, even while those prophecies are being fulfilled in our day, some aspects may have future implications. Some prophecies may have one fulfillment, like the flood in Noah's day, and other prophecies may have a partial fulfillment in the sense that one part of a prophecy may be fulfilled, while at a later time, the other part will be fulfilled. Now, if you notice the prophecy on the fulfillment on the day of Pentecost, some of that was fulfilled, the speaking in tongues and all of that—but the part about the uh, the, uh, the the lights in heaven or the celestial bodies would fall and be signed—that didn't happen. Even though that was a part of the prophecy, so some prophecies are partially fulfilled but not totally. Some prophecies which the Bible proclaims are yet to come to pass. The time of which we live today, for some of us. It is the end time, even though this may be considered the end time prophecy, it might also be looked upon as just before the end. If that is so, then if that is so, then our age, our age in which we are living is border, is bordering on the end time. And generally, when we deal with end-time events in prophecy, we refer to it as eschatology. In our next section, we will deal more with the the eschatological aspect. However, for us who are living today in the end time, which is also our current time, what is it? that the Feast of Tabernacle is prophesying. What is the Feast of Tabernacle prophesying to us who are living today? It has to be saying something to us. So when we consider the fact that every year, the, re- the reoccurrence of them brings about a renewal of the blessings he has bestowed upon us, yet at some time every year, we are reminded that the Feast of Tabernacles is the final one to find its fulfillment. Year after year, it pre- pre- it predicts to us that Yah is with us. Do you know that the uh, feast days, they are actually rehearsals? So when we rehearse the Feast of Tabernacles, what are we re- rehearsing? We are actually rehearsing the fact that He's with us, just like He was with ancient Israel. When they were down in Egypt being afflicted, he was with them. So Elohim is trying to teach us that when the world is torn by turmoil and troubles, that every year we keep this freeze, he's letting us know that he is with us. And if we can have that rehearsed over and over every year, when we get in a difficult situation, we say, hey, we know he is with us. Year after year, it predicts to us that Yah is with us prior to our Messiah's Ascension back to heaven, we realize that he said something to his disciples. Let us turn to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we want to look at the first chapter, the book of Acts. In other words, every time we experience the Feast of Tabernacles, we should rehearse the fact that the whole purpose is not just to fellowship and talk about his blessings, but to know that those blessings has come from Elohim, and Elohim is the one who is with us, walking with us daily, though those promises can come true. So prior to our Messiah's ascension back to heaven, did he not say, okay, what did he say? Okay. Uh, he says, Well, let me see. Let's let us turn before we get to the book of Acts. Let's turn to the book of Luke. And then we'll get to the book of Acts. Book of Luke. So here in the book of Luke, and we're looking at the last chapter. Okay. All right, book of Luke, the last chapter. All right. And we that last chapter is chapter 24 yeah okay. uh, uh, no I think we want it. not Matthews but Luke Luke okay not, not I mean not Luke uh, Luke but Matthew all right here in the book of Matthew last chapter verse I believe that's chapter 28 look, chapter 28 and in the 28th chapter we look at uh, verse number 20, the last verse in Matthew 28, 20, it says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And notice the last part of this verse. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So he telling us, that he's with us all the way until the end of the world. Okay, that's what Tabernacle is about. Let you know he's with you. Okay, now let us turn to the Acts. Okay, we want to turn back to uh, Acts chapter one, and we want to look at verses four and five. Okay. Now notice that Luke, who wrote Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts, and he takes on where he left off in the book of Luke. Now notice what he says here in verses four and five. It said, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which said, he, ye have heard of me. For truly John baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Now, can you see the picture here? We must must be able to see that he's with us. We must encourage ourselves in the knowledge that prior to his ascension, he instructed his disciples to wait for the promise of the father, which said, he, you have heard of me for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy ghost. And in our time frame, he is still manifesting himself among us as we keep this feast, We keep alive his promise to be with us in all times. In all times he's with us. So when we look at that feast of tabernacles, it is saying that in ancient Israel, that when I led them out, I never forsook them. I was always with them, but they couldn't see it. And this is why they were afraid. They were frightened because that Holy Spirit didn't penetrate their hearts. And Elohim said that he's with us. And when his son says, I'm going to leave you, I'm not going to leave you confident, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So just as my presence with you, with you, now the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. And once you can understand that, I think we can understand some of the deeper implications of what the Feast of Tabernacle is teaching us. Okay, now let us turn to Leviticus 23. I want to look at a couple of verses there, okay? Leviticus 23, and we want to look at uh, verses 41 and also verse 43. Leviticus 23, 41 says, And ye shall keep it a feast unto Yehoah seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generation. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. And then verse 43 says that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Okay, so He said He made them to dwell in booths. Okay, and we know that some of the booths and what they were made out of, and and the different type of branches. But was it really the branches and the booths that they were making that he was really trying to impress him with? No, what he was trying to impress him that as you go on life's sojourn, I'm gonna provide for you shelter, food, and everything that you need. But I'm trying to teach you that I'm with you. So now what we are dealing with is not only the prophetical aspect; now we are dealing with the eschatological feast of tabernacles, and as we have pointed out earlier. Eschatology concerns itself with the things of the end. Therefore, when we deal with the eschatology of the Feast of Tabernacles, does it offer us anything else other than that which we have already stated in the prophetical Feast of Tabernacles? Now, while in the prophetical presence, his spirit with us, and in his prophetical present, his spirit is with us all of the time. We praise Him. We celebrate Him. We assemble in holy convocations. We give Him thanks for what He has brought us through. Yet in the end time, while His children will still render Him these things, for they are what will encourage and inspire us in these last days. However, what I want to highlight for us isn't anything of which is new or different in the eschatology, but rather to reemphasize some things that may or may not be apparent. There are basically two factors I want to accent. The first thing we would like to consider in the end time keeping of the Feast of Tabernacle is its significance. What is its significance? And we will refer to this part of our study as the benefits of the blessings of it. And we will call this taba, we will call uh, this the Tabernacle blessings. Okay. We talk about the Tabernacle blessings. And when we talk about the tabernacle blessings, we talk about the feast day of tabernacles and the blessings that it would give us. When we consider that the scripture predicts that in the end time, there would be a time of trouble. Let's turn to the book of Daniel. Okay. The book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, we want to turn to chapter 12 the book of Daniel, chapter 12. And I want to read a few verses there. Okay, so we're talking about the tabernacle blessings. Here in Daniel 12, I'm starting at verse 1. I'm going to read a few verses. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And he shall, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Now, what we notice here, when we consider that the scripture predicts that in the end time, that's going to be a time of trouble. So if we have been practicing every year that during the time of trouble that he's with us, then we'll have a pretty good grasp that when we go through the time of trouble that he'll be able to bring us through. Such events as are coming upon this world, no pen can actually describe. Once Michael stands up, his work of judgment declares that it is done. The enemy of souls will unleash his satanic powers in all directions of the compass with such fury and destruction that those of us who are then alive will look in amazement at such devastation and inhumane treatment of the people of his covenant. Yeshua said when he was here on earth, what did he say? Well, let's turn, let's turn to, uh, the book of Luke, and find out what did he say about this devastation and stuff. Okay. That's found in chapter uh, 17 of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 17 and verse 26, he talks about this devastation that's coming upon the earth. Luke 17, 26 says this, And as it, were, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. So the son of Adam, which was Yeshua, he says that's that's going to be a destruction coming just like it was in the days of Noah. So when we have destructions coming, thousands falling on our one side and 10,000 on our right hand, he said, it would not come near thee. But how would you know that? Because you would be keep it tapping now because you know he's been with you. He's given you the promise. Certainly there will be those who will be laid to sleep. But they will come forth. Daniel says it's going to be two resurrection, the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of damnation. Moreover, we are told that in the day of Noah, the earth was also corrupt before Elohim, and the earth was filled with violence. Now let us turn all the way and see what was going on uh, in, in, in the days of in the days of Noah. We want to turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, in Genesis chapter 6, we want to read a few verses there, okay? You know, it's amazing when you look at the Bible, is that Elohim made everything perfect. Everything was made perfect. And it takes only six verses into the Bible, just six verses, and they have torn this world up. I mean, they just literally tore this world up, and Elohim had to come and step in. And so here's what it says uh, uh, in in, 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 uh, in Genesis chapter six. Yeah. Okay. Genesis chapter six, and we're gonna start at uh, verse verse two. It said that the sons of Elohim saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives, all of which they chose. And jehovah said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he that is for he that for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of Elohim came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men of old, men of renown. And Yah... And yeah saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination and thoughts of the hearts was only evil continually. And it repented Yehoah that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So what we are seeing here is that man had corrupted himself so much that all of a sudden he said, I'm going to give him 120 years. And then if he hadn't come about, then I'm going to destroy this place. Now, what I want you to notice here is that Yeshua says that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the coming of the Son of Man. Okay. Now, how was it in the days of Noah? Well, here it here, is right here. In verse 8, it says, And Noah found grace in the eyes of Jehovah And these are the generations of Noah, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with Elohim and Noah begat sons, Shem, Ham, and and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before Elohim, and the earth was filled with violence. So here you have two things. He said the earth was corrupt, and the earth was filled with violence. And Yehoah looked upon the earth, and behold, it was what? Corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted had corrupted his way upon the earth. And verse 13 says, And Elohim said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So in other words, Elohim is simply saying, as it was in the times of Noah, it's going to be the same thing when we deal with the end of time. And so how would that be? The earth is going to be corrupt And it's going to be filled with violence Now let's turn to Isaiah Isaiah chapter 46 Okay, Isaiah chapter 46 And we want to look at verse 10 Isaiah 46, 10. Now here in this particular verse It tells us it says here in verse 10 of Isaiah 46, it said, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So you remember Yeshua said that as it was in the day of Noah, so shall it be in the end of time. And Isaiah is saying that, He can declare the end from the beginning. So if you want to know how this world is going to end, let's go back to the time of Noah at the beginning. It was corrupt and was filled with violence, and Elohim is telling us that at the end, it's going to be corrupt and full of violence. That's what it's going to be. So he who declares the end from the beginning says that if we know what will take place in the end time, Then look at how things were at the beginning. In Noah's day, their tabernacle was the ark. That was their tabernacle. Be assured that in the end time, just as it was in the days of old, Yah has His means of deliverance. The celebration of the Feast of Tabernacle is a haven in time, like the weekly Sabbath is a sanctuary in time, where we can escape, and to find the peace and the security. Keeping the Feast of Tabernacles in the end of time will be a blessing which would prove to be a great blessing to the called-out people of Yehoah. We must understand that what got this world in the turmoil in the first place is that man violated the covenant laws and commandments. And if mankind is to survive the crisis coming upon this world, he must find himself sheltered in the covenant of Yah's word. Yah's guards his word and preserve those who adhere to it. Now notice, let's turn to the book of Zechariah, 14th chapter Zechariah in other words when we when we broke this covenant then that is when we went into captivity and that is when we'll be in cursed. so if we broke the covenant then if we come back to the covenant then it seems like he would preserve us because we're trying to do the right thing okay now that's Zechariah chapter 14 okay, okay. Now, in Zechariah chapter 14, we want to start reading at verse 16. Zechariah 14, 16 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king. Yehoah, Tisbeoth, or Yehoah, of hosts and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that who so will not come up of all of the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king, Jehoah of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come and come not that have no that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith Yahor will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt, and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day there shall be upon the bells of the horses Holiness unto Yehoah, and the pots in Yehoah's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. So what we are seeing here is that in the last days, he is talking about keeping the feast of tabernacles. Those who keep it will be blessed. But he said, if you don't keep it, you won't receive any rain. So you may have a crop that was right next to somebody. You will get rain if you're keeping it, and they won't get it. And they will be understanding. They won't understand why. Let us now consider the second part of this study, of which we are referred to as the end of time, and we'll call it the tabernacle benediction. Now we looked at the blessing. Now we want to look at the tabel, the feast of tabernacles benediction. Now the tabernacle benediction. benediction Now, generally, when we speak of a benediction, it involves a blessing of some kind at the end of a service. However, when we speak about a tabernacle benediction, it will also encompass a blessing and a conclusion. Because when we talk about a benediction, we bless somebody, but it's also the conclusion of the service. So what we want to consider are two factors of the tabernacle benediction. The first factor we refer to as the tabernacle benediction blessing, okay? So now, when we turn to the uh, Leviticus chapter 23, and we look again at verse 41, Leviticus uh, chapter 23, 41, okay? Now, here it says in verse 41 of the 23rd chapter of Leviticus, And ye shall keep it a feast unto Yehoah seven days in the year. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. So when we look at the tabernacle benediction, when we consider that the Feast of Tabernacles is not only given on certain days of the year, but it is also the final feast for the year. That's the final feast of the year. Now, considering the fact that this feast being the one which Yah closes the year with means that the harvest for the year has been gathered in, okay? So it was the final feast. So that must have been the final harvest. Now, let us turn to Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, we want to look at chapter 8, Jeremiah chapter 8. And in the eighth ch- chapter of Jeremiah, we want to look at verse number 20. Jeremiah 8:20 says this. Okay, the 20th verse of the eighth chapter of Jeremiah. He says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. In other words, Jeremiah saying that after each feast, there was a harvest that went along with it. So so when Jeremiah is saying that the harvest is past and the summer is ended and we are not saved, he is not only just talking about the crops, but he's talking about people. That when these feast days come around, they have, a, 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 they have the ability to give us salvation. On the day of atonement, we can get all of our sins confessed and he can save us. But there are going to be a lot of people that do not take advantages of these feasts and they're going to say, uh, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved because they didn't take the benefits of these harvest feasts to be able to utilize and to find salvation. So the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Now, gen- generally, there are three harvests a year, respectively. The spring harvest of barley, the summer harvest of wheat, the autumn harvest of grapes. Moreover, these three harvests correspond to the three seasons of which Israel was to appear before Yahuwah. Now, let us turn to Exodus, Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23. And in the 23rd chapter of Exodus, we want to look at verses 14 and 17. Exodus 23, verse 14 says, it said, Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Three times. Okay. Now, in verse 17 of the same uh, book of, uh, of Exodus, uh, chapter uh, 23, it says, Three times in the year, all the males shall appear before Jehovah Elohim. Three times in a year. Okay. okay. Now, let us turn to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, okay, Deuteronomy chapter 16, and we're looking at verse 16. Deuteronomy 16, 16 says this. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before Yehoah, thy Elohim, in the place which he shall choose in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So in Unleavened Bread, they had to appear before him. And in the Feast of Weeks, And that was during the Pentecost they had to uh, 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 come before him. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, so in the Feast of Tabernacles they were to come before him. And they shall not appear before Yehoah empty. He said you should bring an offering with you when you come. Why should you bring an offering? Because he's blessed you to have three crops, and if you got three crops, you ought to have something to bring to him. Furthermore, these seasons and their crops correspond to the festivals of Yah. Now, what I want you to notice here is that you have a season and with the season you have a crop and with the crop you also have a festival. So in the spring, that was a season and the crop was barley and the festivals that you celebrated was Passover, first fruits, and unleavened bread. That all went with the barley harvest in the spring. In the summer, what did you have? You had your wheat, which was a, you had the summer, which was the season, and you had your crop, which was the wheat, and you had your festival, which was Pentecost. So here you here you have it. Summer barley. I mean, summer wheat, in the spring, the barley. okay? Then in the autumn, what did you have? You have the grapes. And what was the festival? It was tabernacle. So all of the squash and the grapes and all of those fruits, they came in the autumn of the year. So when you have the spring, you have the barley, you have Passover, first fruits, and unleavened bread. When it's summer, you have the wheat and Pentecost. In the autumn, you have the grapes, and you have the Feast of Tabernacles. So when you look at the Feast of uh, Trumpets and the Feast of Atonement, they would not not feast that they should show up in Jerusalem on. They would not traveling feast. He was saying that three times a year, You should appear before me. And the three times was Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. The other feasts, you could stay home and do it. So what we see in this end of the year harvest is that his people rejoiced over all the crops they had harvested all year long. However, it is not only the harvesting of their food, but also the harvesting of the souls into the kingdom at the close of the year. That's what he's talking about. At the end of time, he's trying to get all of the souls into his kingdom, not just food and grain and grapes. He's trying to get them in, but he's using these things to say that when you bring them in, I want you to also bring in souls. Now let's turn to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, we want to turn to chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13. Now, here in Matthew chapter 13, we want to uh, look at a couple of verses. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, we want to look at verse number uh, uh, chapter 13, verse number 38. Okay? So, what, we, what we're trying to sh- see is these souls. Okay, now, notice what verse 38 says. Now, this is talking about the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, he says in verse 38, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now notice you got two 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 groups here. You got the good seed, which are the children of the kingdom, and you got the tares, which are the children of the wicked one. Like I told you, there's a spirit. The spirit of the Elohim is behind his word for the children of, uh, of the kingdom. And the spirit of the tares is the spirit of Satan which is the wicked one, okay? Now, notice what verse 43 says of the 13th chapter of Matthew. Then shall the righteous shine forth as a son in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so he is saying here that he is trying to get all of his children into the kingdom because the other children of the wicked one, they're going to be burned, in the in, in, in the fire so in this second factor dealing with the tabernacle benediction we will concern ourselves with the conclusion and we'll refer to this as the tabernacle benediction culmination so the tabernacle benediction culmination is when all things come together In the tabernacle benediction culmination is where all of the prophetical and eschatological events come together for the end times. When you read the book of Revelation, there is just so much packed in there that a lot of things are coming together, and you have to weed out what is it talking about. Pentecost is coming together uh, with Passover. It is coming together with the Day of Atonement. In dealing with the culmination, we will concern ourselves with both its timing and its positioning. The timing aspect will focus on the duration of time, whereas the positioning aspect will focus on the closing of time. We will refer to this first part of our study as the Feast of Tabernacles in the end of the times the Feast of Tabernacles in the end of the times. When we experience the Feast of Tabernacles in the end of times, it is the last feast to be fulfilled in time. This feast comes in the autumn of the year, and we are living in the fall season of human history, the end of time. What we must understand is that a feast day can have more than just one fulfillment. However, with that being said, let us see how the Feast of Tabernacles can have one or more fulfillments. When we consider that many of the prophecies of the Scripture have foretold events which came to pass in the Bible times, and yet other prophetical utterances have not as yet been fulfilled in either biblical or in our current time, yet there are also prophecies which met their fulfillment in the biblical times and are to meet with another fulfillment in these last days. And the Feast of Tabernacles, which comes after that of atonement, of which deals with the judgment, is being fulfilled even as I write. And even as I speak, just as the tabernacles follows atonement, even so do we see this same order of their fulfillment. When the day of atonement terminates, then the Feast of Tabernacles will be ushered in. This would mean that the last harvest of human souls have been gathered into the fold and awaiting the eternal existence." We have surmise, we can surmise that the end time fulfillment will be at the Messiah's second coming and it will be right after the day of judgment, when everyone has lived upon the earth, has been judged and will be taken and, and will be taken with Yeshua to his father's kingdom. Now let us turn to the book of John. In the book of the Gospel of John, and we we are looking at chapter 14, notice what it says here. John chapter 14, and we want to look at just a couple of verses there. Now, John 14 and verses 2 to 3, notice what it says. He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way, ye know. Okay. So what he's saying basically here is that he's going to prepare a place for us. Now, What we want to consider is that when he comes, that he's getting ready to take us with him. And so that means that if we're going to be with him, the ultimate purpose of tabernacle is to be with he and his father. And he said, I'm going to take you to my father's house. And we're going to really have a tabernacle experience. So now what we want to consider is the positioning of the Feast of Tabernacles. And we are referred to this section as the Feast of Tabernacles in the end of the world. We looked at the end of time, but we are going to look at the Feast of Tabernacles at the end of the world. And again, uh, we want to uh, be able to go back to Leviticus. And in Leviticus 23, we again want to read a few verses there. Okay. Leviticus 23, and we want to start with verse 43. Okay, Leviticus 23, and we're going to read verses 43 and 44. It said, That your generation may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am Jehoah, your Elohim. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feast of Jehoah. Okay, now isn't it ironical? that the Feast of Tabernacle is the last feast of the year and also the last feast of this world, the last one. So here we have a matchup of the last feast with the end of the world. So the last feast day is coupled with the last part of earth's history. This would mean that it is also the last harvest in the parable of the wheat and the tares, Yeshua points out that the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. That's in Matthew chapter 13, verse 39. He says the harvest is the end of the world. So now let us turn to uh, uh, let us turn to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Okay, now let us look at verse, well, verses 18 through 20. Okay, we want to look at that. It's important because we said we had three harvests. The first harvest was barley with Passover. The second harvest was wheat of Pentecost. And the third harvest was the grapes with the Feast of Tabernacles, those harvests. So let's look in the book of Revelation and look at those harvests, okay? So in Revelation 14, we look at verse number 18. Now notice what verse 18 says. He said, And another angel came from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust thy sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for the grapes are fully ripe." Okay? Now, as we pointed out, the grapes were the last harvest, okay? So they were the last harvest. Okay, now let's back up a little bit. We see what the last harvest is, and that's going to be a devastating harvest. Okay, now let's back up a little bit. Let's back up to verse 15 where it says, And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice that said on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is right. Okay. So he's telling me, get ready to reap the harvest cause it's right. And he that sat on the cloud, thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. Okay. okay. That's the harvest of souls. He's reaping them. And then notice what it says. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. Okay. And another angel came out of the altar, which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, of the grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of Elohim. And the winepress was trodden out of the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even to the horse's bridle, and by the space of a 1,600 furlongs. So what we are seeing here is that the last harvest is represented by the grapes, and the grapes have that deep red color. And he is saying that that represents the blood of those who have rejected his offer of salvation, but the feast days helps us, and the day of Atonement helps us to know that if we are part of the summer harvest, then we are saved. But if we come forth in the grape harvest, most likely we'll be lost. Let us pray, our Father. As we close the Day of Atonement, a day of uh, Tabernacles, we pray that as we study these feasts that we can rehearse your presence with us to know that in the times of difficulties and turmoil and troublous time, when the world, oh Heavenly Father, is corrupt and violence is everywhere, that we can know that your presence is with us. And as we do that, oh Heavenly Father, and practice that, when we are in difficult times, we can know of a surety that you will bring us through. And when you bring us through, oh Heavenly Father, we can look back and give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory. Majesty, dominion, power, and all of the thanks for your protection. Because we believe that you are with us. And this is what Tabernacle teaches us, that you will be with us at all times. In his name we do pray. And for his dear sake we ask all of these blessings. Amen. Amen, And amen. Amen. Just a reminder, we will be taking a break for the month of October. And we look to be back in November. That is our special podcast for the Feast of Tabernacles. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Until November, Shalom.